0: You're listening to the Sojourn Church New Albany Sermon Series, Family Matters. In this series, we speak into the most contentious societal issues of our day, not with the world's wisdom, but with God's. The blood of Jesus has ransomed people from every tribe, nation, and language across the earth. And this diverse, reconciled church will reign alongside Christ into eternity. Now let's hear the word of the Lord. Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. Are we commending ourselves to you again? No, we are giving you a reason to be proud of us so you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. If it seems we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we, sorry, we also believe, yep, that we have all died to our old self. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves, Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sin against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal Through us, we speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God, for God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. This is the word of the Lord.
1: You may be seated. Well, good morning, Sojourn. Peace be with you. It's good to see you guys. It's good to be with you. Yes. First feedback of the day is always the good one. Uh, my name's Jonah. I'm one of the pastors here. And yeah, th- thanks for joining us. Um, you know, in this age of, of COVID, there's a pandemic going on. If any of you have missed it, it's actually happening everywhere. Um, I get a chuckle out of the phrase, y'all have, don't out yourself right now. This, I'm off script already, 30 seconds in. Have you caught yourself saying global pandemic? Anybody? Don't, you don't have to acknowledge it, but just, I think that's so funny. I've started saying worldwide global pandemic uh, because by calling it a pandemic means it's global. So it's like, it's a worldwide, worldwide, worldwide pandemic. Uh, But anyway, during this pandemic, uh, people are still getting married, still having weddings, seems to be an increase in weddings at the courthouse for understandable reasons. And so I've just been thinking about some of the the shifts that have happened. And uh, have you ever thought about, uh, particularly recently in the United States, not just the last year, last 20 or 30 years, uh, why we take pictures at weddings Perhaps that seems obvious to you, Um, but in the United States, weddings have become primarily a legal reality. People talk about getting married for tax benefits, or it's basically something that the state gets involved in, and that's why there's arguments about what is marriage and what isn't marriage, because it's kind of, uh, for lack of a better term, been divorced from being a purely religious situation, and now it's become more of a cultural legal reality. And even in these Times where people are getting married at courthouses, they're still taking pictures at the courthouse. Can you think of any other time where you get a you want to take a picture with the judge at the courthouse? Maybe an adoption, right? Maybe an at an adoption. Why the pictures? There's tons of legal realities that we don't take pictures of. Maybe you do when you purchase your first home, or if you get married in front of a judge, or if you adopt. Um, because the reason you're like, this is ridiculous, everyone knows why we take pictures there. Uh, We're not taking a picture of a legal reality, right? No one frames the picture of the signed marriage certificate up above the mantle of their home. And even as someone who has officiated many weddings, all of those uh, marriage certificate pictures are staged. They get the fancy quill pen out, and you have to pose just so. It's not about the actual piece of paper there. The pictures are taken because the legal reality points to something that is profound and life-changing. The legal status that changes in a wedding ceremony is fundamentally a change in status. It's a change in relationship. These moments that we often commemorate through photography, even if on the surface may only seem like a legal reality, these moments... Mark a change in how we will live from that day forward. In our, in our church and in churches like ours, most, most of us come from places or we've belonged to places that argue that the gospel of Jesus is the forgiveness of sins. And that's it. And to me, saying that the gospel of Christ is is only about the forgiveness of sins, is like saying a marriage is only about a marriage certificate. The legal declaration of forgiven is like the legal declaration of married. The legal declaration of being forgiven points to a deeper, more mysterious reality, a change in status, a change in relationship that results in a changed life from that moment forward. And one of the reasons the church in the United States is floundering in so many places and in so many ways is because we've severely reduced the meaning of words like justice and reconciliation. Over the last two weeks, we've talked about what this word justice means, and we want to consider what this word reconciliation means. We've reduced the power of these deeply biblical truths to mere legal declarations. So if the law is good, we are good. If we have the right thing to say, regardless of how we live, we're good. The invitation into experiencing reconciliation is much deeper than a legal status change, just like the invitation to follow Christ is much deeper than simply being forgiven. So consider verse 11 here, where Paul begins. Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. Now, If the gospel of Jesus Christ is only and exclusively about the forgiveness of sins, what do we persuade people to believe? That their sins are forgiven. And I think that is a worthy thing to do, to remind somebody and appeal to them that their sins have been forgiven. Have any of you, again, don't raise your hands. These are I mean, I guess you can if you're feeling grounded in the love of Christ this morning. Uh, Have you ever got caught up in that cycle of preaching the gospel to yourself, which means just tell yourself you've been forgiven over and over and over? Or you've you faced somebody in a chronic pattern of broken behavior, deep sin, deep complicated struggles, and all we know how to say to them is you are forgiven? Have you experienced personally how exhausting it can be to do something that you know you shouldn't do, you feel bad about doing it, you tell yourself you're forgiven, and you promise to try harder, and you feel even worse the next time you do it? What... What is God after in sending us his son? Is forgiveness all God set out to achieve? Could there be that there's more to the gospel than only the forgiveness of sins? This passage that Meg read for us reminds us that God is after something far deeper than the legal reality of forgiveness. Verse 14, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old way of life. Leave that up for a second. What's that second word? Christ's what? Love. Look, we say it like we believe a little bit this morning. A little crowd participation. Christ's love. love controls us. So we see even, even underneath the legal reality of forgiven is this relational word of love. Our legal reality, just like a marriage, changes how we live. We all have died to our old life. He doesn't just say we've all died to our old beliefs or our old information. There was a way we were being human that now Christ has come, and because of what he's done, we are laying that in the ground. Because Christ died, our old way of life has died with it. Paul continues this idea in verse 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Do you see how much stronger that is than just a legal declaration? Anyone who is pardoned by Christ or anyone who is forgiven by Christ, there's a word of union here. Anyone who belongs to Christ, who is united with him, who is in fellowship with him is is an entirely new kind of human and a new way of life goes forward. The legal declaration, forgiven, ushers us into a new way of being human. Paul gets more explicit about this in verses 18 and 19. God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. You see, there's a double flow happening here. We are reconciled to God, and then we are given this message of reconciliation that we go and share to the world. So here's a way to think about the flow of Paul's thought here. The legal declaration, forgiven, which is good and true and beautiful. It's important. Not in any way saying we shouldn't talk about being forgiven or the importance of that. But that legal declaration, you are forgiven in Christ, is for the relational reality of being reconciled to Christ. You understand? The forgiveness of sins is for the sake of relationship, first with God, and then that flows as we become more and more reconciled to each other. This new way of life is lived unto Christ, with Christ, for the sake of Christ. We are forgiven for the sake of reconciliation. God forgives our sins so we can be adopted into his family and live as his children. Here's how one theological dictionary, can you believe such a thing exists? a dictionary to explain all of these words that professional Christians come up with. And so here we go. One dictionary puts it this way. This is how it defines reconciliation. The idea of reconciliation is of a change of relationship, an exchange of antagonism for goodwill, enmity for friendship. Listen to this part. Attitudes are transformed and hostility ceases. That's what's happening in Reconciliation. It is not just merely a legal exchange where instead of being called guilty, you get to be called innocent. It's, it's, it is that, and it's deeper than that. Instead of being enemies, you are now friends and family. Instead of having hostility, your attitudes are changed, and now there is affection. So how does this influence what we're appealing people to believe, what we're persuading people to believe? Look at what Paul says here, verse 20. We are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. See, he doesn't say, when we plead, believe that your sins are forgiven. That's part of it. What are we pleading with people to do to come back to God? We are striving to persuade people, you can come home in Christ. We are the family of God because we've been reconciled to fellowship with God, and then that God sends us out as ambassadors of reconciliation to the world, carrying the hope of the world, persuading people that you can come home to God. Jesus frees us to enter into a Trinitarian lifestyle. Trinitarian is a big word, meaning like God who is, exists in Trinity. We've been talking about this throughout this whole series. God exists, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as a diverse, harmonious, unified people. A person, different roles, but unified, different emphases, but unified, same nature and substance with different aspects, diverse, harmonious, unified only Christ has the power to allow us as humans to live as God intended us to live, which is, like himself, diverse, harmonious, and unified. Dr. Jarvis Williams is a very smart man who is also a pastor at Sojourn Midtown, and he wrote a book about reconciliation, uh, the, the kind of Trinitarian framework and the biblical justification for reconciliation as being about relationships. And he focuses all through the Bible. I mean, it's, it's pretty overwhelming. If you're into Bible verses, this is a great book for you. And so Dr. Williams uh, puts it this way. This reconciliatory act of God has power, not because it has made Jews and Gentiles no longer different or has caused them to surrender their ethnic identities but because both groups, though different, are one. And their differences are overcome by the power of the cross, since God has reconciled them by faith through Jesus' death. So what he's he's honoring here is the reality, and you, you can see this if you're willing to see it in the New Testament. People get saved, and there's distinctions about them that are still honored, that are still acknowledged, that it's not like we just all become vanilla ice cream and pool together in the church. We have differences, and we have different backgrounds and speak different languages, but only the cross is powerful enough to break down the hostility that instead of says, we can't be different, comes together and celebrates the fact that we have been reconciled and now live as the Trinity does, diverse, harmonious, and unified. Only the cross has the power enough to bring us together. Because Jesus has died and is yet alive, We are ambassadors of a new humanity, a humanity where differences are honored and celebrated, yet we are unified as one family. And so in our unique place in history, and some of it is unique because this is the only time many of us have been alive, right? Unless, I don't know, unless I feel about reincarnation and time travel and stuff, but as far as I know, this is the only place in time that any of us have ever been alive. It's quite unique for us. And I would argue that we as the church have exclusively good news, particularly good news for a world that, from my perspective, seems to have gone entirely mad. We are reconciled with God and each other. Hostility can be replaced with friendship. Divisions can become unity, harmony, family. The scriptures in the history of the church argues that human wholeness only exists in the context of relationship, both with God and each other. We must see that proclaiming reconciliation is an invitation into deep relationship with God and with one another. We must not settle for legalities. We must not settle for merely saying the law is good, and so therefore we must be good. There is no reconciliation apart from restored relationship. It's why we reject the notion of healing the scars of racism in our country. Thinking that that will be accomplished if we just preach the gospel. If just preaching the gospel only means proclaiming the forgiveness of sins. If the gospel does not include an invitation into restored fellowship with one another, ensuring all men and women can live into God's design for their life. Racial reconciliation is enabled by Christ, and the fruit of Christ's work is diverse relationships. We must not settle for re- legal realities, but press into the more profound, powerful truths of the gospel. And as a teaser, that's next week. If you've been through, through us this whole series, it's been a lot of sour, right? It's been a lot of fastballs down the middle. I'm telling you, next week is an off-speed pitch right down the middle of the plate, It'll be an easy home run for all of us, right? Next week is where the encouragement will come. But here's what I want us to say or see today. We as the church have the privilege of ushering in Christ's new humanity. He's made it possible for us. We have the privilege, the privilege of living as one new man, as the scriptures would say, a diverse, harmonious, unified group of people. We have the privilege and the power, unlike any other group in the world, to actually live out what has already been accomplished. It, what has already been accomplished, we can experience the power of being truly human, display the beauty of diversity, celebrating God's creative wonder. And I just can't help but imagine. It sets my mind on fire of what. What could happen if we took to heart ideas like they will know we are his disciples by the way we love one another? What might happen if we embodied a way of of honoring differences while moving forward in a shared mission? What could happen to our neighborhoods? What could happen to our cities? What could happen if we learned what it meant to own the sins of our fathers? What could happen if we empowered those long-impressed oppressed? learning to work together amidst our differences. It starts beginning to sound a bit like Jesus' idea of a city on a hill, a place that is held up that looks different, that you long to be there and experience the beauty and the power of being in a place like that. So that's where we're going to head next week to consider the power of that, the beauty of that. What would that actually look like? And that will lead us back into the Gospel of Matthew chapter 19 in two weeks. So for this morning, as we consider what that means, the privilege of reconciliation, um, I have a few encouragements for us practically. They're not too practical because I want us, to, some of us to just go figure this out on our own and wrestle with the Holy Spirit. Um, one of the first things I believe very strongly about our present moment in the church is our old ways must die everything, you know this already, I don't know if you're on edge or how that statement sounds, like, oh my gosh, are we changing the logo? As if that would be the worst thing ever, right? Like, are we going to change the name? Are we going to change the font? I don't, you know, there's nothing, I have no practical next steps, okay? These are philosophical beliefs at this point, because we're waiting to learn and listen. Um, You know, you know that your old ways must die anytime you come to a turning point in your life. Have you realized how difficult anything beautiful in your life is? Have you realized how difficult creating beauty anywhere in your life? How much pain and loss that requires to achieve it? If you want a beautiful marriage, you must not be married the way you were single. Amen? Some of you have learned that. Some of you probably haven't. If you continue behaving like you did before you were married you will not have the kind of marriage you want. If you continue living with children the way you did before you had children, you will not have the children you want. And you'll say ridiculous things like, these kids are just monsters. You know whose fault that is, right? If we want to be healthier as a family, more beautiful as the church, some of our old ways of doing us must die. To put it in the words of Jesus, in John 12 he says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Anything great requires us to lay something in the ground. There will be no resurrection unless we first endure crucifixion. And Here's what I want us to believe. We we must be a church that desires Jesus and being a beautiful whole church more than our own preferences or traditions. We must be a church that desires Jesus and being a beautiful church like the scriptures say we could be more than we prefer a logo or a style of music or a certain way of programming ministry. We must be a church that is captivated by the scriptures view of humanity and what we could be and we must be a church that believes jesus has something unspeakably beautiful for us and out of a desire to experience that we are willing to lay down whatever it takes to be with him to become like him and to be used by him can everything be on the table for that greater goal and if not then that's a heart check right There's something going on there. If we want our way, more than we want the kingdom of God. If we want our preferences, more than we want to be what the scriptures say we could be. And so what I want you to know is that reconciliation, particularly racial reconciliation, but I think all reconciliation, it's not about saving anyone or rescuing anyone in the sense of here's something we have to go do to go help these poor people. It's about celebrating the legal reality that we are family in Christ and learning to practice what we preach. It's, it's learning to live like what we're actually saying is true. So as we move forward with our listening sessions in a few weeks, this is where we're inviting minorities and family minorities to just share what has your experience at Sojourn been like? What's been good? What's been weird? What's made it feel like you don't belong here? Um, I just want you guys to know pretty much everything is on the table except for the core doctrines in our statement of faith. You know, what do we need to change? Because what we're doing and how we're living, if it's, not, if, if it's betraying the Scripture's view of humanity, I don't want it. If it's communicating to people, you don't belong here. For non-biblical reasons, reasons rooted in brokenness in our history, not in reasons taught by our Scriptures, I don't want it. And I'm convinced, maybe nobody will come. Maybe everybody will say, steady as she goes, it's really been great. Maybe that's what will happen. I just want you to know, I am bracing myself emotionally for what will we learn. What what are things that I really like about how we do church that's making it hard for some people to come to church who the scriptures say are our family. I don't know what we'll learn. Next week, we celebrate our 20-year anniversary as a church. 20 years. And I'm... One of the biggest evidences I have that God is real is the fact that this church exists and its 20-year history and that it stayed open 20 years, frankly. Um, So we're going to celebrate next week. We're going to rejoice in what God has done and honor the good and beautiful things that have come before us. But some of what carried us this far has to die so that something more beautiful can emerge from it. Reconciliation means... Our old ways must die so that something beautiful can come to life. Christ's love controls us. Christ's love compels us. And so we strive to persuade people, come back to God, come home. Second encouragement. We have to learn to enter every encounter as ambassadors for Christ. Here's an example of something that may have to die in us, or at least in some of us. Um, I can't name it for you. I'll ask a question of you. What do you want to be known for as you enter a conversation or relationship? What do you want to be known for? What are you looking to know about the other person to know if you can be in relationship with them? If you want to live as an ambassador for Christ, then you have to see Any label that you desire there, other than the name of Christ, that must die. Look at how Paul views the world as an ambassador for Christ in verse 21. God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sins, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Now, (laughs) I really like the Bible. You see, the only qualifier he puts on us here is first sin, to be the offering for our sin, when he thinks about what label do I need to put on somebody to make that appeal to be reconciled or to enter into a relationship with them? Have they sinned? Are they a sinner? The only prerequisite for coming to Christ is being a sinner. Christ was an offering for our sin, so Paul is open to relationship and reconcil- reconciliation with anyone who fits that category, sinner. What must you do to be, in order to be saved? You have to be a sinner. And second, you have to trust Jesus. And as far as I can tell from the scriptures, that is it. If anyone be- confesses with their mouth and believes in their heart that Jesus is Lord, they will be saved which means there's a whole bunch of people that are saved that I'm really uncomfortable with, who believe things that I think are crazy, who do things that I think are reprehensible. But they have confessed Jesus is Lord and they are striving to follow him with their own unique limitations, their own unique constraints. But if that's all that is required to make that appeal for reconciliation, let me put it to you real poignantly. (laughs) You do not have to be a Republican to be a Christian. You do not have to be a Republican to be saved. You do not have to be a Democrat to be a Christian. You do not have to be... I'll tell you, let's get real crazy. Uh, Do you know Venezuelans are Christians? There are some Christians in Venezuela. that, That hotbed of socialist communism. Even there, there can be Christians. There can be Christians in Brazil. There's, I think, Christians in Kentucky. Even in California. Do yeah. you see what I'm saying? Yeah. How many of us enter into conversations and relationships putting prerequisites on Christianity other than sinner who trusts Christ? That is legalism by any any other name. If we do that anywhere else, do this in order to be saved. And if the do is anything other than believe in Christ and follow him, that is legalism. It's fundamentalism. It is rigid. Old school, deep south, southern Baptist fundamentalism. I don't care what label, what political party you put on it. That is what it is. If you believe in your heart, and confess with your mouth, Jesus is saved. If we put any prerequisite into Christianity other than sinner entrusts Christ, we have abandoned the gospel of God's grace. So, do you see what this means, though? Can you think of any of the uncomfortable implications of this? I can. It means in every encounter we have the opportunity to persuade people to come home to God. We have the privilege to treat them as a potential brother or sister. We don't have to persuade to any earthly label or position. Beware the person. Beware the person who spends more time, energy, and words arguing a political position than they do proclaiming the beauty of Christ. Beware the person who divides on worldly lines, denying the reconciling power of God. We persuade others to come home to God. And there'll be all kinds of implications of that for our politics, right or left. There'll be all kinds of implications for how we live when we begin to follow him. What do we want to be known for? What do we think it takes for somebody else to be a Christian? To be worthy of the reconciling power of God? We persuade others to Christ. And then we celebrate. Knowing the gospel is big enough for all races, all classes, all genders, all everything. It was easier to do this when our room was full. Um, but y'all, this, even this group, it don't make no sense, you guys. Why you people are here? You're just too different. Your lives are different. You're, I, I've had both of these conversations where someone's like, "You mean to tell me there's actually Democrats in our church?" And I'm like, "Yeah, there actually are." And then have other people be like, "Are there actually Republicans here? You mean that for real?" It's like, "Yeah, we are. This is a purple room, you guys." And there's people with. There's people with board money. That's where you got so much money, you just don't know what to do with it. And you buy like your fourth jet ski or something like that. Like there's people with that kind of board money in our church. And there are people on food stamps, barely making it. What brings, the, what brings those kinds of people together? Only the power of Christ and the power of his gospel, the reconciling act of God through the cross of Christ. And so we can gather with this kind of diversity and difference Um, fundamentally what that's doing is celebrating the risen Christ because only he is beautiful enough and his love is strong enough to take a sinful mass of humanity and transform them into a diverse, harmonious, unified family. And only when when we have a desire to know Christ and build his kingdom, only when we have a desire that way can we tolerate the differences around us. There's a couple of really important things that we're going to be on the same page about, and then we're going to link arms with people who look a whole lot different than us and act a whole lot different than us. We have the privilege of entering every encounter as ambassadors for Jesus. Finally, and maybe most simply, Christ is inviting us to possess what we confess. In Christ, we have died to an old way of life. Hostility is replaced with affection. Division is replaced with unity. And there's a lot that I could say here. I'm just a little wound up and tired at the same time, you guys. Um, I don't know. Can I just be honest, Glenda? I'll just be honest with everybody here for a second. I am so exhausted from not living the things that I believe are true. You know what I mean by that? Say amen if you think God loves you. Amen. Amen. I didn't count everybody. There were several amens just now. <laughs> have you struggled with any feelings of guilt or anxiety in the last week? Yeah. You ever have, ever, ever have a therapist look at you and say, oh, God's so sovereign and he loves you so much, but you can't sleep at night and you're guilty all the time. You see the, the discrepancy there? I'm tired of believing that the power the same power that hovered over the waters of creation and the same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives inside me. I believe that, and I pass theology tests about that. And I walk into so many situations like a scared little kid. We stand on the precipice of a divine opportunity to possess the power of the gospel, to no longer settle for proclaiming it, but experience the joy of living it. One new family, diversity, Harmony, unity, gifts brought to bear, the dividing wall of hostility that Satan has so long used to damage image bearers of God. We know it's come down, but what if we experience the release of that? What could happen in our little town? What could happen in Louisville? What could happen in southern Indiana? I don't want to just say those things. I want to experience those things and live those things. I know there will be a cost, I know that there will be losses of preferences and changes in traditions. Likely many things we can't even anticipate now, but it's the opportunity to experience what God says we already are. How did Jesus teach Peter how to trust him? He didn't give him a theology lesson. He said, get out of the boat, Peter. We have an opportunity. If these things are true, which we have tried to just shotgun, rapid fire, Gatling gun blast scripture verses at you and overwhelm you with... uh, resources that you can go look on your own. This is overwhelmingly the message of the scriptures that we are one new person in Christ, that we can honor differences and be unified on a mission that's greater than ourselves and experience peace with God and peace with others. Can we want that and desire that enough to start stepping out of the boat, whatever that might mean? And maybe the first step is just be willing to say, maybe my team isn't right all the time. Maybe I don't see it perfectly clearly. I I don't know. Maybe that's what the first step for you is. I'm going to go read a book. Finally, I'm going to read one of these books that they keep recommending. I'm going to watch, gosh, all the effort. I'm going to watch a 15-minute video that they've given to me for free. Maybe I'm actually going to step out. The the next step is going to be different for all of us, but to put it real bluntly, I'm exhausted and tired of confession-only Christianity where we think the right information is what the Lord wants of us. I'm tired on resting on information and legal realities. I want to know Jesus and experience the power of his resurrection. I want to be a city on a hill, and I want us to live like the children that God says we are. Do you want to know about that, or do you want to live that? Jesus is inviting us into the wonder of reconciliation with God, and he's sending us as ambassadors into the world to announce, you can come home. And he invites us to remember this week after week with an experiential reality. We call our minds back to the night Jesus was betrayed, when he took a loaf of bread and he thanked God for it and he broke it. He said, this is my body given for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. It's not just information, something you can smell, you can taste, that you eat, and it literally gets incorporated into your whole being. In the same way after the meal he took a cup of wine and he said this is the cup of the new covenant sealed with the shedding of my blood drink this as often as you eat in remembrance of me as often as you're together this is the cup of the new covenant which is sealed how the shedding of my blood not the appropriate labels not the appropriate whatever if you believe that christ has died for you and you're willing to follow him you are safe and sealed in relationship with god forever And so we come now to remember that reality. Open up your cup as best you can. Look at this flavorless little tiny wafer. It's the best we can do right now. Look at it and remember, Christ's body was given for you. This is evidence that he loves you and desires to be with you. Eat in remembrance of him. Then take the juice and know, This is what keeps you safe in fellowship with God. This is what keeps you secure as a child of God. Drink this in remembrance of Him. I'll pray for us and then we can respond. We'll stand and sing and then on your way out, you can give in boxes on your way out. Let's pray.
0: Thank you for listening. Keep in touch with Sojourn New Albany on Facebook or download the free Sojourn Collective app for iPhone or Android where you can see our full library of sermon series, audio and video, discussion questions, event calendar, ministries, and much more.